Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Candy Can Podcast. My name is Christian Can, and with me over there, I have Sean Reck. And we're going to get into uh, a couple topics. Don't know where it's going to go. I have an idea where to start, and uh, it'll grow from there. But first, I actually want to show you, sir, a video. Okay, so here we are with strange phenomena in the sky. Um, first, what we're looking at now is November 10th at approximately 2349. That's 1149 at night, Central Standard Time. Looking to the east in the Caribbean sky of Costa Rica, I saw this. I started to re record this orb. And I called someone who was close nearby to see if they saw the same thing, and they did see it. So on the left, it's being recorded with an iPhone 7, and on the right, it's being recorded with an iPad Pro. And what we're both seeing through the lens is this glowing light, this orb that is spherical. It is very intense. It is unlike Mars, which you can see clearly, and stationary. Um, it is very intense light of blue, white, red, violet pulsating and forming this sphere and this six or eight sided object randomly. Now, the closest thing that I've ever seen to this, because this isn't the first time I've seen it, and in fact, 20 minutes prior to recording, it looked more like this. It was a lot closer, a lot more clear to the naked eye. It's the camera lens that I didn't have at the time to catch it in this stage but what you're looking at is the same exact thing that was filmed in 2015 and what you're looking at on the left is again the viewfinder um catching what we're seeing on 20 in 2020 um november 11th november 10th so yes keep your eyes to the skies and you may be surprised but this was a phenomenal capture and something awesome to share with um, people that were close enough to look up with me and press record I've been watching this guys for a while and I hope you do too. This is Cristiano Can. This is the Candy Care Podcast as a special bonus. Cheers. So when you see that, what comes to mind? Um, what comes to mind? So for me, I'm already of the belief that human beings are not the only uh, life forms within our understanding of what the universe is. And so I always leave room for possibility that other intelligent life forms whatever that means are are out there um that's fucking freaky um <laughs> that's no other way to to put that man the lights are kind of just bouncing around like that so rapidly and not kind of in a linear path um you know it just recalls similar kind of videos that i've seen online for things so I, it's more of an intriguing thing. I don't feel threatened by it when I see it. I don't feel no, there's not a threat at like, all. Like, oh my God, we're uh, the Martians are coming, like something like that. Nah, I don't feel no. What kind of way about that? Do you believe or have a sense that there will be or there has been interactions with um, extraterrestrials? Has been. I can't say that um, from my position at this point. Um, I think a lot of people can or have tried to make some kind of connections to say things in ancient history that seem to be impossibly done by human beings. Like physically, we just didn't have the technology to do whatever. See Egyptian pyramids. Fuck that. Um, wait, so wait, do, I, you, do you think that humans built the pyramids? I think this is my position of it. Clearly, we see this flag behind me, right? Uh -huh. um, so I think my position on blackness as an identity uh, is kind of clear. I think whenever specifically the Egyptian pyramids are brought up um, and that saying that the Egyptians didn't do this, it usually comes from a white voice as if these niggas couldn't have possibly have done this. And that's what it's framed as usually when I hear that. And so because of that, I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm not so far... It's not so quick to jump to instantly. If they didn't do it, aliens must have done it. So just that specific instance. Um, anything else? I'm open to hearing why someone may credit that to an extraterrestrial being, right? Um, so to say that have human beings come in contact with extraterrestrials in the past? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not really someone that has to know definitively about everything. So I'm like, maybe. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Um, did it affect my today or tomorrow? 
then I don't care that much. But maybe it did. So here's the thing. I'll tell you yeah, that maybe. The, the Egyptians did not build the pyramids. And mm. I will say that definitively because everything the Egyptians did, they claimed. And even the awareness that the Egyptians got, and they're not even called Egyptians, they're the Comitians. And before they were the Comitians, right. they were the Nubians. And before that, they were something else. But through through it all, they were the the root race of the Afros, the dark skin, uh, often associated with the Anunnaki and this level of awareness. But there is nothing that right. looked, like, looked like us that was built remotely to be this size or this height that... Uh, constructed the pyramids doesn't even not even close so i'm gonna jump on that ship and okay. stand firmly on the fact that egyptians never took um credit for it and they did not build the pyramids um it was even if just historically um it was the uh the sumerians are the oldest civilization associated with writing mathematics farming laws sex the first beer recipe is over six is about six thousand years old so the sumerians are the first ones that are associated with everything that is culture and society today everything as the modern man and who they credited to they say oh we we were given all of this writing language culture art from the, the the fallen ones, the uh, the Anunnaki, and that was pretty much where this whole conversation of civilization, as we know it, came out of nowhere. Like there is this age where humanity is known to exist for thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of years. Bones and fragments are being found, accurately or inaccurately uh, associated with carbon dating. But the 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 explosion of modern man's awareness came at a point where it was accredited to something, and before that things already existed. Pyramids had existed, mm. sphinxes had existed, temples had existed. So it was this new cycle of what is here now. I, if the earth is a billion years old, give it consideration mm. of how many species have come and gone since we've been here. So let go of the earth is under destruction. It is just evolving. And right now we are too. So I digress to get to the, mm. fact, the fact that okay. I'm excited to talk right. to you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you. And this conversation, we've had many opportunities to exchange. You are a writer, producer, uh, wordsmith, uh, many, many, many things. Now you're a fisherman, podcast host. Uh, I call you a, a, a social a social commentator and and, and engagers. So um, we've had many chances to engage. However, there was something you recently stated that I'm going to read back to you that that warranted this conversation. And I definitely want you to let's engage. So um, what what you wrote was, I firmly believe... (laughs) I firmly believe... That the vast majority of issues that young boys and men go through pain that we cause each other, ourselves, and women stems from a lack of conversation and real education about managing ego. We we rarely have long enough conversations about what ego really is and how it impacts our decision-making when unchecked. I wish I would have had conversations with wiser folks about the dangers and opportunities that come along with feeding the ego when I was young. Hmm, that's a podcast topic. And so I said, let's talk about it. So you were, when this came to you, there was something that you were reflecting on, something that hit you, something that you saw. Walk me through it. Word. Um, So I don't know how in tune you are right now to Chicago music scene. Are you familiar with someone that just lost their life by name of King Von? I know the name. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, so Vaughn, um, I'm in Chicago, I'm in Inglewood, I'm 71st in, uh, in Eggleston. Vaughn lived on, or came up on Old Block, which is on 64th, not too far from here. So him and Chief Keith and Dirk and all that whole crew, obviously they're, they're very familiar to this, to this area. Same with FBG Duck, who's a rival, who's a GD, um, Duck was killed earlier this year, a few months ago, I think about four months ago, in Chicago. Um, a lot of speculation about why, but most people associated with gangbanging on music is what led to that. 
four or five nights ago, Vaughn was killed in Atlanta, a rival. Um, something completely unrelated to that situation with Duck, but he was killed. Um, and it's all on video, it's captured on video. The long story short of it, Vaughn saw someone he had beef with and he goes up to fight this guy. I mean, instantly, as soon as he saw him, punches the man, they just start scrapping a straight fist. And maybe within 10 seconds, somebody who's affiliated with the other rapper came from around the car, shoots Vaughn four or five times in the chest. And he gets shot and a whole bunch of shooting just starts happening. Scene. Vaughn is taken to the hospital. Later on that night, he's pronounced dead. And that instance in particular had me thinking about why did this young man just lose his life? And I'm someone who always interested in asking the why behind the why. So why? He was shot. Why was he shot? He was shot because of an associate of the man he was fighting felt that it was enough danger going on where I needed to pull out my weapon, even though Vaughn didn't have a weapon on him. Um, but somebody felt the need to pull out a gun and shoot that. Well, why was he fighting him in the first place? And once you get down to enough whys behind the whys and like someone was talking to some girl that they were talking to, it all to me stemmed back to ego. Someone felt like their, uh, their ego was disrespected, was harmed in some kind of way. And so I started thinking about what is the ego in the first place? And what kind of conversations have, do we have or in our community, I'm talking about our community, I mean my physical community around here, um, about ego. And so ego, a lot of people have tried to sum it up. And it's a very complex notion, depending on if you come from like a Freudian aspect that you're talking about, you know, what the Hindus say or something like that. But really, your, your ego is the sum of your beliefs, your, your social identities, who you perceive yourself to be, um, how you think of yourself as. It doesn't necessarily mean that's who you are, but it's how, who you think of yourself as. Um, if I say, Cristiano can you are a short, middle-aged Polynesian woman, you're probably like, mm, maybe not, but because you have a different understanding or conception of who can is, right? Um, as opposed to who someone else may think that you are. And so when I think about young Black boys, because you and I have both been young Black boys at one point, um, or thought of ourselves as that at one point, I think about what kind of conversation has happened around understanding of self. And for me, there was a lot of rhetoric around protecting your name, your actual name, and just your overall that representation of what that name is, yourself, your character, your reputation. Um, and in this context of Englewood, Chicago, not a lot of wants fall into our possession. A lot of things that we want, a lot of worldly things that we may want, we may not be able to have. And so what do you actually have to safeguard and protect? Your name and your reputation are of top priority. And what that is saying is my ego is, is my top priority, my, my sense of self. And if that ego, if that name is being challenged or in any kind of way, then I have to defend that in some kind of way. And so when I think about Vaughn, I think about Duck, and I think about these all these other people whose lives have ended in pursuit of protecting that name. Um, it's like, why? I'm going to speak in layman terms. Maybe some people can understand this who's listening. Somebody, I say you a bitch. I call you a bitch. I call you a pussy, right? And in context, that's an offensive thing to be thought of as a bitch, whatever that means to you, to whatever, whatever <laughs> comes to your mind when I say that you a bitch. Right, it's something not nice, right? Because your understanding of what it means to be a bitch and what my understanding is of myself don't align. And so, you think that I'm a bitch? If there's you a call me a bitch me. one more time, no, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, yeah. right. You, that's your perception, even though my perception of myself is not that. Now, if we're in a private situation, just you and me talking, you call me that. There may be some offense, but it's not necessarily going to escalate to anything. Now, you call me a bitch and it's in public view. Other people now have seen you 
attack my reputation, my sense of self. The most masculine thing I can do in this moment in defense of my name is to take violence on you. That is my perception. And so now I go out to fight you as Vaughn. Little did I know someone else is also defending their ego and they pull out a gun and now I've lost my life, senseless. So this is what this conversation um, came from to me as I thought about that. How, what are the extents in which we're willing to go to protect our name and our reputation, which is our ego and the kind of poor decision-making that comes out of it. So, so one of the things yeah. that um, you brought up and thank you for that introduction. So uh, while I'm familiar with Chicago and the area that you're in, when you mm. start saying certain names and this new developing era of music and trap yeah. the sound, it doesn't resonate because the message and the frequency, it just, things go different ways and it's options for many things. However, I have, I have heard of King Von's name because of a reaction to T.I.'s response and mm. uh, other people um, knowing that this is a, a retaliation, that something has begun, um, been instigated. But as far yes. as any lyrics or songs, I don't know. But specifically talking about ego, yeah. um, I sit in the awareness that the ego is your individual experience of this realm. Right now, we all exist under a blanket. And your ego is when your finger or your hand pokes through that blanket. That is your individually, your individual presence or experience where you can see other fingers or you can touch them, but you're still all one fabric, no matter how you perceive it. Um, and so I'm with you uh, mm -hmm. because I feel what you share sits in that. As far as conversations about ego, um, from from thinking of it from a younger perspective on where it came from for me, I would say there's someone referencing one of my songs, Auntie P. Um, thank you, Auntie P, for teaching me inadvertently how to skip the beat. Um, one, knowing that she had crazy hearing and needed to sleep at night, I was the one that had crazy hearing and every time I heard her feet, I would stop moving. So my two cousins would get whoopings when I wouldn't because, you know, I heard her. And, um, how to skip the beat, she taught me how to pause and reflect. Um, you don't have to give everyone your time. You don't have to answer every phone call. You don't have to open every door just because someone knocks. And so um, check yourself is pretty much, uh, check yourself before you introduce yourself to someone else. If I'm not in the zone where I feel good with myself, I'm just not gonna open the door. And I don't have to explain that to you because now I'm engaging in a way that's unnecessary. So if I have to say who taught me how to check myself or my ego mm -hmm. without ever the word coming up, therefore creating this other construct of what ego was, it was my NTP. So I got it direct, unknowingly, um, from a very early base. Uh, discussions of ego in the scene that where, where we're talking, where you are right now, it's, it, there's this there's this joy and pride that has uh, permeated from uh, gangster culture, and not not gang banging. I'm talking Italian mafia gangster Irish culture. That gotcha. there there's this joy in this process of being the boss that has made it since the '70s. It's kind of crept into the culture that we're speaking of right now. And it still lingers. It still lingers to want to be the top monkey, ding a ling a ling and actually boast and speak on it. And you see the movies, you hear it in the music, you can go through generation after genre, generation after genre, whatever it is that to be the one, to be the man is when not only do you have it, you can speak about it. And not only can you speak about it, when you get to a certain point, you just show it, you don't say anything. And so uh, when we talk about ego and how it's not addressed in this in, in this day and age, it's the fact that there's still a an entertainment industry that comes through your news, your music, your film and your shows that's still pushing this image on what is powerful, what is influence, right. what is attractive, your clothes, how you should speak, the imagery that guides you hasn't changed. So you can introduce the ego, but you have to remove yourself from what is feeding it and just drowning it 
We can talk. There are people that sit in the matrix all day, but their ego doesn't shift because you're sitting in everything that is feeding your ego. So unless you become a hermit in the matrix, to really address your ego and understand and live it is difficult. It's a it's a it's it's a yeah. battle. It's like living Absolutely. in the matrix and saying, I'm off the grid. No, 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 no you're not. <laughs> you're just more relative to others, and it's a default that you compare. So how would you say you were introduced to the conversation of ego if you look at it? Because I, I know some ways that you may not remember. Um, and if it's relevant to share, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, and how would you suggest, based on where you are now, uh, you engage this topic, looking at what you know now? Good question. Um, so when I was thinking about this myself and how, what kind of conversations I've had around it, explicitly, most explicitly, I said my mother would always say when I left, um, make wise choices. She would tell all of us that, make wise choices. Or one, um, one bad decision can change the rest of your life. She'd always say those, those two things. And, you know, we, we sit there and we take that and I'm like, okay, that would be conscious on mine sometimes when I'm interacting in the world. I want to do this. I think this would give me pleasure to take this action. But my mother said, think about the ramifications of those actions. What are the consequences if I go and do that and seek pleasure in this moment by doing that thing? Hmm. Sometimes I'd weigh that consequence and decide, I don't want that. And sometimes I'm like, it's worth it, nigga. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do it um, to feed that, that sense of pleasure that I, I desire in that moment. Outside of that, um, I think that, you know, those normal, normal, social norm way of, of kind of dis disciplining your children as you're coming up through different kind of moral codes um, and structures. And we came up in like Christian households. And so all the kind of norms that come along with Baptist Christian families that, that serves as a backbone or a guide for your behavior and decision-making or is intended to be in that kind of way. Um, the, the fear of God um, in, under the Christian belief system, right? You're taught to fear God and specifically hell too. Um, if you do this or you, know, you do bad or you don't believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ, then the consequence is hell and that's a negative outcome. You don't want that. So then that directs your behavior, right? Um, so all these kind of things, I think, at an early point, have guided my sense of ego. And then coming to a point, it was really when I got to college, uh, at ISU specifically, I spent some time at URC and I transferred over to Illinois State University. And when I got down there, I had a sociology professor who simply asked us in like the first week of class, why do you believe what you believe? That's I'm a like, great question. Right. He's like, why do you believe what you believe? I'm like, well... Hmm. Let me think about that. Why do I believe what I believe? And once you answer that question, it's like, okay, but why? Why was that presented to you? I, I was raised this way. Why were you raised that way? Why were your parents raised the way that they were to have the experience that they have to raise you the way that you were? Hmm. So all these things become contextual. Why am I a Christian at this point? Um, and all these other kind of things. So that just kind of blew my mind and just led me down this rabbit hole of investigating myself and my beliefs and whatnot. Um, so my understanding of ego now and myself or my relation to that, that ego, um, I, I think about what's, I try to think about what's temporary, temporarily effective and what has long lasting effects. I try to be. Sometimes I get caught up in the shit too because we all do in some degree. As much as you can try to remove yourself from the ego and reach just total nirvana, um, we're, we're st we all have our limitations still at the end of the day. And it, it can be something as simple as a Facebook post that's triggering to you on a certain conversation, right? There's a reason that you decide to engage and type and comment on one post as opposed to another that you're like, eh, I'm gonna let that shit ride. Because it affects something, it triggered something you to give you a response to it. And that's still your ego at the end of the day. Um, and so I try to be mindful of that. And I notice sometimes I'm like, damn, it caught me slipping. I shouldn't even engaged in that because at the end of the day, it don't really matter. Mm -hmm. But 
for me. I felt like I needed to say something. They needed to hear me and my thoughts say something. But did they really? <laughs> so that's where I'm at with it now. Interesting. Um, right now we're at a very intriguing world transition. And this this is bigger than the U.S. elections. It's in February of 2020, the world stopped moving and everything had to adjust um, to new conditions and circumstances. Many egos were tested, questioned, many relationships and relationships with egos were tested. And so mm. as we speak on egos, what what's been your greatest test of ego um, mm. since February? What have you come up against um, where you're like, oh yeah, this is really, or this has tested, this still is testing. What are your ego challenges? Dog, so many. We don't even have enough time on this podcast for that. <laughs> but I can give some some touches on some things. I've been challenged in so many different ways from this year. I think a lot of people have. Um, one in particular is uh, employment. Um, so I've never been a a capitalist and thought like not. I've never valued money to the point where I'm like I need that. I've never been money motivated. Mm. Um, but I've always had everything that I needed and was able to get a decent amount of some things that I wanted. And so in December of 2019, due to a challenge to my ego, I resigned from my position, uh, my last position of employment. I felt highly disrespected by my supervisors and to the point where I'm like, I'm not gonna take this. Enough I'm gonna is leave. Enough. Yeah, yeah. enough is enough, I left. Little did I know a pandemic was coming. And so <laughs> when I'm on the job hunt and they're like, mm, we're on a hiring freeze right now because we, we don't know what the hell's gonna happen with the earth. Word, okay. All right, I shouldn't be unemployed that long. I mean, this thing should blow over by like the summer because why not? Yeah, that didn't happen. So now we're in November of 2020, I'm still unemployed. And I've had to be creative about ways to generate income for myself. And so I'm like, I, I felt myself feeling at some point uh, less valuable to the, in a sense, because I wasn't generating income, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to, to buy things or giving gifts on birthdays and things like that. And a sense of worth was taking a hit from that. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that way has been very challenging for me. Um, another ways, we get into like romantic relationships. Mm. I was in a relationship um, with a partner for just under three years. And that also ended in late 2019, November. Actually, I think today like literally makes a year since that happened. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that relationship with that person is over now. And so since then, the rom navigating the romantic space and making connections with people and evaluating, is this something that's valuable to me, to you? Does it make sense to be together? Um, seeing those relationships dissolve or work out, varying degrees have challenged the ego. I've had friendships that are, well, one in particular, a guy that I knew since I was probably six years old. It's like a brother to me, literally. Um, had just super betrayed me in a way that I don't really care to get into the specifics of. But um, that relationship came to an end. This happened so in then, 2020. This is 2020. This, this happened, is the year uh, of April. testing changes. This is, the, <laughs> yes. this is the year of shifting. So you saying that? Yeah. Like, don't value the, or give as much value to the, what you call betrayal as much as you should the change. Because really, mm -hmm. that's just your knob of, how you respond, whether it was joyous or distasteful, but really all that happened was there was a change, mm. a necessary mm. change. And that is, I think, the biggest attachment to ego is change. That is your mm. biggest attachment because the ego, you really want to be in control. As much as right. you want to let go, the ego wants to be in control of your experience or reality. However, letting go, you get way more information and awareness. 
although it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. it's unknown, and it's uncharted for most. The ego, I feel, and this is a conversation that isn't had uh, concisely and concretely at most ages, uh, yeah. is that, yeah, what what is the ego? And I think many things are best discussed, like I had with my auntie, without the term. Because when you mm. truly grasp it and go back, you're like, ah, I got to experience this before I was boxed into the check mark. So hearing what you're going through, I think is common if we talk employment, movement, and relationships. I don't think I have anyone then in my circle of influence right now that hasn't dealt with two, if not all three consistently throughout. There is one yeah. going on by default, but the other two, it could be two or three that are affected. So mm. w- those are challenges that you see to your ego. What have you broken right. out of and broke through with your ego? What have you taken on, confronted, and says, man, I'm so glad I got to do this. Thank you. Word. Um, I think... I'm so active in trying to to try new things for myself. People are like, man, you're like a jack of all trades. Because I, like you said, I do a lot of different stuff, right? I do a podcast. I teach people how to fish now. Um, all this other kind of stuff that I didn't know how to do before. I cook. And it's just been trying to develop new skills for, for myself and to be able to share that with others when relevant. So this Blackfish project that I have where I try to teach um, young black people, the therapeutic values of fishing and, you know, a health standpoint too, you can feed yourself, um, kind of things like that. It's a sport too. It's competitive. It's all kind of fun that goes along with it. So many different valuable aspects to fishing that, um, doesn't get shared in our community. And so I took that upon myself to learn myself how to do it because I went with my grandfather, you know, granddad used to take us sometimes in your lake, (laughs) but, um, you know, stemming from that and thinking about the joy that I had with, with Granddad doing that, I wanted to share that with other people too. And so um, getting through a point of feeling like I could not teach others how to do this, um, feeling like I did not have the skill set, right? And then working to develop that and then seeing that I could and others were learning and they were then other uh, able to go and teach other people that's been a, a real success in that kind of sense. And I'm not getting paid from it. I don't, there's no kind of worldly benefit to it. It's, it's the sense of seeing other people be happy and, you know, being able to spend time with other people is valuable to see. Um, and even that notion in itself kind of feeds your ego, right? It's like, I'm happy that you're happy um, in some kind of way that's also self-gratifying. So the it, there's just begins- no utopia. The ego begins with the word I. Everything else after that is just extra. So remove that and it doesn't matter. It's just remove the I and you're there. The Black Fish Project um, is intriguing because based on what you're, you're saying, what I'm hearing is it's a way to get to nature. It's a way to communicate with community and it's a way to relax and feed yourself. It is everything that nature calls you to do that society um modern entertainment and modern humanity has walked away from as i hear you speak um what i do hear and want to bring up about one of the other major changes that has taken place on the entire planet is that Mm -hmm. the value system has changed people don't value money as much as they do time and people don't value time as much as they do uh valuable exchanges there are people that used to be on your time they didn't make you money um they didn't necessarily make you happy but they were still in your time schedule whether they were on your daily weekly or monthly cycle and what happened with 2020 in this new restructuring of value, value in money to time ratios came value to, I really don't just want to shoot the shit with you. I really want to engage meaningfully with people. And if it's not with someone, it'd be with myself. So more people took more time to themselves or chose to shut down 
previous mm. relationships that they realized were just strings with no value. So the volume system, yes. I hear that coming out of your words, your volume systems have changed. Um, when you look at the fact that you're unemployed now and you look at the changing climate, can you see that Rome has and is collapsing and the value mm. system that is attached to capitalism is in its early stages of a complete transition that must be experienced. It won't fully be seen until it's finished. It's how you look at history. You look at it as a reflection. Happiness is a reflection of what happened. You're not happy in the mm. moment. Like time doesn't exist. When you relay the time, the time you told me already passed. So it's a reflection of a moment. So can you see, or, or is this a reality to you that Rome is collapsed and you're just now seeing the earliest crumblings of capitalism? Um, I want to believe that. I want to believe that, right? And so many signs around you seem to point to that too. Um, but I also think about so many times in U.S. American history where it seemed like Rome was falling, and such as somehow, hmm, various world wars, um, depressions, recessions, all kinds of things where it seemed like. Mm, about to be curtains for this empire. Um, and I, I look at now, and we, we all are just coming on <laughs> off of the presidency of, of uh, Donald J. Trump um, and thinking, man, this was just what America needed to finally take that tumble down. Um, I don't know if that's really going to be the case. Um, as someone who's currently a, a citizen <laughs> of this place, I'm like, Okay, I mean, fall just enough for me to be able to make it out safely <laughs> somewhere else. And that's going to be the case, right? And so my self-preservation kicks in at that point. Like, what does it mean if America really crumbles and the whole system collapses in a way? Um, there you go. What you're, what you're you know, going through right now is that term of cognitive dissonance. Because it's right. like, all right, just because I can't fathom it doesn't mean it can't happen. But, like, for real, it can right. get bad, but collapse, come on. Like, like it, right. things have changed, but come on, yeah. Here's mm. that term: tragedy. Tra tragedy strikes tragically. There is like there are bad moments that have taken places um, throughout history, but very rarely are there tragedies. And so mm. I don't. The world wars, um, the various revolutions. Um, you, you 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 could go back 150 years and talk to a native. Indigenous American and talk to them about, hey, can could could you ever foresee like a day where you have to attain water with something that you have to give up your life energy for that isn't attached to anything natural? And you have to explain it that way because buying, purchasing doesn't exist. It's, it's trade, gather, collect, exchange, and just be. And in most native cultures, the term I doesn't exist. So even all this is, it will be difficult mm. to communicate 150 years ago that, hey, can you fathom having to buy water? And this is to the indigenous. Going, let's go back a hundred years ago to a cowboy in Texas and say, hey, um, I got some bottled water that um, I want you to buy. Even then they will look at you like you were crazy. So to think of how fast things can change, rhetoric and what is possible, yeah. we are there now and it's picking up since the mm. 70s. Since the beginning of, in the expansion of the technology era, which fed the information age, which we exist in its infancy right now, um, it was unfathomable to, to think that it's gonna happen now. James Bond is a spy film that started on the belief <laughs> or the intrigue that it was this dude who had a sidekick and he had gadgets. And these gadgets initially when the film started were not gonna happen. Then what happened was they became prototypes. So they would come out 10, 20 years later. And as technology, life and information sped up, James Bond was releasing his phone and his watch at the end of the debut of the movie. So this is similar to how we have advanced to, what? I can't fathom to, oh my gosh, it's really here. So I hear yeah. you. And many people tell me, something that you just said that I find interesting <laughs> is that you said <laughs> you're coming off of the presidency of Donald J. Trump and you're a citizen. I am looking at 
this TV show from the outside in, and I find it Man. hilarious that everyone's I'm sure. talking. <laughs> I'm every, sure. Everyone is talking about it differently. <laughs> I, for me, observing from where I'm at now, you have a, a, a small group stating that, and it's being repeated by the mainstream media of the United States, that mm. Donald Trump has lost. Now, on the other side of media that's not making it to the United States because I'm under a different IP address and filter is the election isn't over. And there are a lot of lawsuits that if only 50% of them are justified, he wins. And then in the middle is this thing that Al Gore was president-elect for 38 days um, before (laughs) the thing came to be that this isn't over yet. And so one thing that that's, I want I mean, to be, yeah. be cautious of as I talk to you, and we, we can jump into this and how this climate mm. affects your community and people you talk to, is the fact that no matter who wins, the most dangerous thing to proceed on is if the election is questioned on its validity and legality moving forward. Doesn't matter who wins. Oh, yes. It is. You cannot proceed questioning what took place. Like, people were in disagreement with um, Bush winning over Gore. They were in disagreement with Mm -hmm. Trump winning over Hillary. But it wasn't a question on the legality. It was just, oh, there's the Electoral College. Oh, there's this, that, and the third. Right now, this is the most questionable election on the history of mankind that's being seen outside of a dictatorship. So... This this yeah. this needs to be contested and completed before people go too far because the adverse reactions that come after this are gonna mm. hurt a lot more. If anything, this is the calm before the storm. This is truly mm. when the election has started. I always said November 4th is when the election starts because from here mm. until December 8th or December 12th, this is the most questionable moment of what happens what is happening so donald trump the past four years your community your people your reaction your livelihood your reality what has happened Mm. what is happening why is donald trump a pleasure for you to get out of office yeah so um working in education I am often impacted more so than a lot of other people are by administrations, federal funding, Department of Education, impacting that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Programs get cut, people lose their jobs, or you know, different kind of services are being are able to be provided or not. So my interest has a lot to do with that realm when it comes to that. Also, you got someone who. I really hate how some people have built this narrative that Donald Trump has created racism, racists in America. Come on, come on. We we know that that's not the case, but what he has done in his position is amplified the voices of the people that already were, allowed them to feel more emboldened and being more um, just, just straight up violent at some times or being more vocal about how much they hate you, why they hate you. Um, in ways that we have not seen in mass since probably the 60s. And so um, there's that. It's, it's this derogatory language that comes to insert protected group. Doesn't matter who. We're talking about women. He's got plenty of sound bites about women. We're talking about people from the Middle East. We're talking about people from the Caribbean. He's offended every group in some way just with his words, um, let alone through policies that have directly impacted people um give me policies what policies do you know or have you been affected by because i follow his policies more than i have the rhetoric or responses to his words because that's just hearsay like like i'm that that goes to the ego and the contracts one i don't have a contract so i'm not emotionally involved so i have to listen past people's emotional response but so often it's like have you heard him have you heard what he says and i'm like but okay let's look at what he's doing like there are contracts with countries that have been at war for decades that they're now not fighting and they want to talk more so if this is the same guy or administration that is causing all these people to react well maybe he's talking a different language to certain people or remove your ego and give something else more attention because tell me policies that conflict there are, with there you. are 
there are absolutely no altruistic presidents, right, ever. They all have some kind of self-serving or party-serving kind of motivations in the policies they, that they introduce. Mm-hmm. And Trump is no different. Obama was no different. I'm not a fan of any particular thing. We had a, a brief exchange talking about, like, two wings of the same bird, right? Um, which I wholeheartedly believe. There are different policies that get introduced that impact different communities. And we're talking about with Trump in particular, and first thing that comes to mind is like immigration kind of things. I have very close relationships with people who come from immigrant families um, who've been directly impacted by some shit that's been going on with ICE, right? Now, you, of course, can step back and say, well, during the Obama administration, um, there were some questionable things going on as well. True. Does that mean that also in the Trump administration, things haven't been escalated to become even uh, less secure for these populations or more atrocities are happening? Women are getting their uteruses removed um, in concentration camps. Shit is just straight up egregious. And even if you want to piggyback and say, well, this happened before Trump, does that mean that it shouldn't stop? And if you have the ability to, to introduce change to make sure that that, that comes to a, to a cease? No. So, of course, I'm going to take issue with with these kind of things policy wise. So I'll I'll just leave it that as an example. I'm going to come and I'm going to drill you. So you as an educator, you say you come up against these policy changes more. What have you come across or what do you remember coming across as an educator that directly affected you and you related it to the Trump's administration? Betsy DeVos, man, um, we were just having a whole conversation about the fact that she's out of here, um, potentially. Mm-hmm. If I can pull up a, an article here. Yeah. This is an article that is based around um, something directly related to policy changes? Yes. Okay. And you said Betsy Ross? Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos. Yes. I don't know. I haven't heard the name. So um, she rolled back guidance and regulations related to reporting of sexual assault in Title IX. If you're familiar with Title IX at all, mm-hmm. under Obama administration, where certain administrators are mandated to report when a student comes and addresses that sexual assault has taken place. Mm -hmm. Under the Bessie DeVos-led Department of Education, a lot of people's responsibility to do that was removed. And so now if someone came to you, you didn't necessarily have to report it, right? And so being on a college campus where sexual assault takes place more on a college campus than anywhere else outside of a prison, that's very problematic for our students. Um, There's a lack of safety um, or feeling sense of safety, especially for our women students. Um, who then feel like if I go to someone in confidence and I know that they might not necessarily have to say anything, it's like I'm less motivated to then go and report that this has taken a place to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that on the biggest scale we, we've seen impact students, we've had to have conversations more intentionally about, well, any case about consent anyway, and what to do in the case of a sexual assault. If that happens on your campus, that happens to you what the next step is, who should you feel comfortable with speaking to and knowing that it's going to be escalated and someone is going to you know, face the consequences of that. Something as simple as that, which we all should feel like is a universally understood thing, we all should try to prevent sexual assault from happening and persecute um, consequences for someone that, you know, if, if, they per- um, if they perpetuate that. So, Something just that basic, it has nothing to do with the actual education, impacts one's ability to pursue education. And so that, that is something that's been a direct policy that's come from her who's appointed by Trump. She has no, absolutely no background in education prior to being the, the chair for this position. And he just places people in his cabinet in positions who, to have authority that really should not have any based on their experience and unfamiliarity with education. 
Okay. Now, now that I'm not at liberty to debate or go on that one because I'm not familiar with that specific policy or individual. Sure. I have heard about it loosely in conversation. I just never followed up with that specific individual and um, uh, the to read what it is. Because even though I'm not affected by it, I enjoy um, looking at the game and reading some of the rules and changes. Because if you know the difference between legal and lawful, then you know the difference between mm -hmm. admiralty law and common law. You would know the difference between the law of men and the law of persons. And so what you're talking about always is the law of persons, the law of statutes, the law of corporations and contracts. And that is what I studied, learned, loved, and gave all back because I chose to win and how to play the game. So um, mm. men can be free, but they can never be free if they um, have one piece of skin left in the game of statutes and contracts. You'll never, doesn't matter what you say, who you write for acknowledgement of, I'm a free man, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a dad, I'm a moor, I'm a blah, 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 blah. If you have to write it and claim it and show somebody, that means you need approval to be it, which means you are not it. You are, you, you just aren't. <laughs> so um, looking at this the and getting back to the Trump era and state of things, um, I hear you. And there are many people that share what I sense from you. Uh, I feel this energy of removing Trump isn't the, the best thing in the world. Um, and Biden isn't the best thing in the world, but it's a step closer to something different. And what I get from people, if I had to choose the most extreme from your standpoint, um, not going further left or right, but from, from your standpoint, picking the middle line from what I've heard, if I had to pick someone that would pick um, a counter argument to your specific demeanor, they would say, well, Biden, I don't, know what someone who's been a professional politician can do better as a president. And who is Biden? Biden, if he did win, he won on a fear vote. He won, people didn't vote for Biden, they voted against Trump. Indeed. And so that's a very scary position in presidents to set moving forward. It's like, whoa, Trump didn't, Biden didn't win based on Trump we won <laughs> him, right. And even now, Trump hasn't lost the process. He has lost to the media, and he has lost to the people that believe the media. Media has never called an election in any country. Um, so it's just be careful moving forward, championing or being emotionally attached to something that isn't finished. And if you understand media, they make money off of mm. your emotional attachments. So Facts. it's not about me reporting you the truth. What can I get you to move or stand on or repeat or fight for? It's not about, if the media only reported good, fabulous, <clears throat> progressive news, there would be, no one would be watching it. No one would be watching <laughs> it because it wouldn't keep you. It wouldn't, based on how society has been groomed on violence, on emotional um, impulses, it just wouldn't happen. And I think Donald Trump, there's a, something else you mentioned that I agree with in a different context. Donald Trump didn't exist in my world until 2016. It was like February yeah. when people came in. I didn't know about the election. I didn't see any of this. This mm. I was making so much at, that it was just like, it just didn't exist. And so I, I just get back to Costa Rica. I'm sitting at a bar and these people come up and they're talking about Donald Trump of how they dislike him. And I'm listening. And for me, all my associations with Donald Trump are the fact that he was one of the most referenced TV. names in hip hop. Um, Donald Trump has more references in hip hop than any other celebrity outside of that culture. It was like, I want to be everything. People, Trump was a, a measure. And so, yes. um, and then, yes. so as I'm listening to them hate him, I remember, okay, yeah, he was a TV personality where if you're on television, there is no good guy on television. There is, there is a polarization and even the good guys have something that pulls you in. Alf was a good creature that had a sarcastic humor and he ate or wanted to eat cats. He had to have something that made it, gave him some roundness or polarization. So um, Trump fit everything um, that made sense as I'm hearing this couple 
slowly mm. walk into the fact that Donald Trump is president. I'm like, what? What? And so mm. um, people's emotional involvement, as, then I started to listen to why they did not like him. And nothing justified they didn't why they didn't like him. So I did start to look at the media and it didn't make sense where I would see like a 10 second snippet where later I would go watch the full three or 10 minute clip. And I'm like, wait, yeah, if you take out that 10 second snippet and put it there, it does look like that out of context. This dude looks like an idiot. But you don't be Hillary Clinton just because hard drives come out. You don't be Hillary Clinton based on being an idiot. And Donald Trump was never called an idiot or considered to be this babbling fool until he became associated with politics and still never accepted the role of a politician. So as I'm on the outside looking in, I'm looking at how contrived a lot of this anger is based on what is and is not seen. Now, uh, some of it, as you stated, is directed to policies that you experience. But there is no different than any other politician um, in parties and decisions. They have to be made. Someone has to make the, a decision for then it to be addressed, fixed, or improved upon. Someone has to do something. So it's like, all right, now that this stick is here, we realize this is not where we want the stick. So we're gonna chop it, cut it, trim it, and move it here. It's it's just a decision made, and you make more decisions. So to be caught up, like, oh my God, they did this, they did something. What did you do other than complain and respond? And what are you doing now versus complaining and reacting? It's it's like I get lost in people's reaction and there is no action other than rage. When I look at the reaction of riots and, 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 and so forth, riots and looting are actually justified in the system of capitalism. Um, it, is, it is actually a counterbalance and something expected in the unbalanced system that is so unjust of capitalism. So when I see riots and looting, I'm like, I mean, I mean. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so yeah. I don't want to jump out on this field. I want to I want to get back into, because we'll round this out, and I don't think this is our last conversation. Um, you are in Chicago. You are seeing the yeah. climate change culturally. You have seen mm. um, the progressiveness of uh, black on black murder and killings that come um, from gangs, perpetuated media, and the uh, just a, a vibrational frequency that has never been checked. Whether out of fear, yes. lack of, of 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 awareness, there's just a vibrational balance that doesn't sit. And even when I used to listen or give chance a call to reason. Chance never fully made a stance in a position mm. where when I see his collaborations and associations, it, it kind of falters on where someone who stands on something should be. Um, mm. And this is coming from mm. me where I can stand on the fact that I made decisions that are extreme outside of what anyone could have fathomed to stand on what I believe was necessary to get where I made it to. So I'm not good on the picket fence people that yeah, you stepped a little further to the left, but you didn't make it. You didn't make it. You stand a little to the right, but you didn't really go right. So mm. um, right now, what is happening? What are you seeing? What do you want to see? And I'm talking in music, art, in the conversations that need to take place, in the political climate, mm. considering what I just said on what you see versus what I see, what they feed you versus what I feed you. I can give you links right now to show you videos that are blocked by the United States. From my perspective, you guys are, are subject to the same censoring as North Korea and China, from what I know you can't get access to. And that's why it's like, whoa. Mm. So talk to me. <laughs> uh, what it sounds like you just asked me was... <laughs> <laughs> what it sounds like you just asked me was so brother how do you plan to leave the matrix <laughs> that's the question it had man um doc it's it's so much it's so much and to be quite frankly i don't have all the answers if any really um i know what i'm tired of saying i'm tired of seeing people that look like younger versions of me in this five block radius die. I'm tired of it. Often by the hand of someone else that looks just like them. Um, that's my most immediate pressing concern matter. And I've actively tried to do a whole bunch of different kind of 
ways to address this, whether that's mentoring individually or getting involved with nonprofit organizations, whether that's um, recruiting for um, institutions of higher education, whether that's trying to direct them to a, a trade, whether that's advocating for counseling services and therapy that I think we all need, um, by the way. Voting, it's, it's just like, damn, what, what is it going to take for that to stop? There's a million different ailments and symptoms, but at the root of it, we all know, you know, is capitalism and racism when it comes to the United States of America. Um, and so trying to figure out what is the best way and before the root is pulled out of it in this downfall um, to address these symptoms, to minimize the damage as much as possible? How can we reduce the amount of death that's happening? Because in my lifetime, it does not seem that it's, it's ha this part has only gotten worse during my lifetime over the past 20 years, it seems like for me, because that's my reference point, I'm 29 years old. And just over the course of my own life, it seems to have just gotten progressively worse and worse, just from a, a violent standpoint. And that's this disheartening. Um, you know, a lot of people's cure all from here, and I'm probably gonna follow suit eventually, is to just relocate from it. I don't wanna surround myself um, with this, and since I can't directly solve the problem, I'm gonna leave from it, and I understand it. Um, and so trying to do as much as I can from an individual relationship basis to address what I can control and what I can influence from here, um, or the few people that I have in my audience that actually listen to my voice and take, um, you know, take that into account when they make their decisions, I'll use that influence wherever I can. But we're talking about what really needs to happen. It, it has to be a wave of change of heart, you know, and that is no small task. And I have no idea how to really spark that massive wave of change of hearts of, of man, if that ever is possible at this point in our society as it's already come to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to summate and close it out with this statement for your consideration. And in our next conversation, there are mm. two things that you mentioned, capitalism and racism as it relates to the United States are issues that need to be addressed for advancement, for improvements across the board. There are, ways to take those even deeper, like you say, symptoms. Capitalism is a symptom of another misunderstanding. Um, and that is understanding value, which we talked about. Once you change your value system, capitalism has no power. So that is already being worked on, but is it being executed? That is something right. that is taking place right now, but will you have the conscious right. execution to put it to the end? The second thing is something that I can send you um, a link to the video. I may put it in the description of this one is racism. And I have this awareness that the argument about racist really comes down to the unawareness about species. We are mm. different species. Therefore, we have different instincts, different temperaments, and different ancient awarenesses that aren't addressed, aren't taught, have been forgotten and scrubbed and rubbed into each other. And so a lot of these tensions that arise are out of lack of understanding and application that we're different species. Um, and I can say there are really four main root races. There are the Afros, uh, which were the first. There were the Orients. Um, there were the Indos. Um, and then there were the, uh, the Aryans, the newest race that came about 6,000 years ago. And what's lining up right now on December 21st um, is an alignment that hasn't taken place since man has written. On December 21st, there are a series of lights and alignments that every religion, every um, every spiritual, cultural, every societal, every antiquitous thing that we can collect all points and references this one thing. So all, there are many things in the world that are different. 
And then if we zoom out looking for what's similar, what's similar is the reference to these alignments of the skies, the bridge between worlds. Um, all of this in 2020 is coming into alignment starting December 21st. But if you understand change, it's shifting now. So these, these sky constellations, these fireballs in the sky, these new cosmic energies affecting our temperaments, our soul, the fact that we are evolving right now and no one is having this conversation, that's why I look at everything like a movie because I'm like guys we're evolving right now and one way to look if you can't look at yourself is there are plants that have never fruited that fruited this year there are there are there are fruits and flowers that are budding in October and November right now there are strawberries that are growing plants off the seeds of the fruit while it's still on the stem because its DNA and its life force is activated so if this is happening to the plants and the birds that are running into each other or flying south and uh, north instead of south right now. The the whales and the things that respond to electromagnetic frequencies are all having responses. The earthquakes that have taken place in Newfoundland, in uh, Massachusetts, in Illinois, in Colorado. The fact that all these things are happening at the same time is of no coincidence. So you can look at a screen, look at election, you can look at many things, but if you're not looking at yourself and then zooming out and looking at the world, everything else in the middle is a distraction. So I encourage you to take the challenge of engaging me on uh, root races and that we may be different species more so than different races and what that means on a bigger scale. And the consideration of the value system has shifted. And so when your value system shifts, by default, capitalism just means something different to you. As you even started this conversation, right. is I never really valued that. I can see its use now, but I, I'm not in love with it. I'm not trying to run it down and bleed it and spit it. So... Um, this is the end of my rant. If you want to say something, mm. my name is Cristiano Can. This is Sean Rec. Um, <laughs> Man, I just, thank you for having me on, though. Um, I expected nothing short of this level of conversation with you, for real. Um, send me those things. I, I will absolutely <laughs> take a look at that. I'm, I'm always See looking to, to read something else, you know, for yeah. sure. And I'm always, I will definitely chop it up with you on, on what I find a reflection of that. So. If there's anything you want to say to your users, um, your listeners, your viewers, what would you say to them? Um, if they listen this long. <laughs> listen, time is the most precious resource that you have. Um, we're, we're not promised tomorrow. All you have is your right now, and even now is just become then, just that fast. So spend it how you want it. And uh, I'm glad that you spent it listening to us. So thank you. All right. <laughs>